So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Ian Ratner. Ian is the co-founder and CEO at Glass Ratner Advisory and Capital Group. And Ian, for someone who is meeting you for the first time, how would you describe what Glass Ratner does? Um, that's a good question. We always talk about the elevator, you know, having the elevator pitch uh, ready to go. Very specific. Uh, very direct. We have two primary businesses. Uh, the first is bankruptcy restructuring, where we're involved in the entire continuum of distressed company uh, restructuring from operating distressed companies to selling distressed companies to bringing businesses through, uh, uh, through uh, bankruptcies to kind of renovating businesses where we get, we get involved in turnaround management and kind of recapitalize the company. So the entire continuum of distress and then the other part of the business is really dealing with uh, very complex disputes uh, between businesses and business parties. Many of those disputes are transaction related, post acquisition disputes. You read about these projects all the time in the Wall Street Journal and there's people like us behind the scenes um, working with the companies. And um, you know, one thing about describing what you do, I think people uh, sometimes make too general a description and too esoteric, so to speak. You need to be able to tell you, what do you do? What are your capabilities? How do you help people? What, what is the main idea of your uh, business or service or product? And I've always felt it's very, you, you're, you're able to succeed if you could just get it right out in front of people. No, you did that. I've always thought of you and what I understood. It's like you're a physician, a master physician to an ailing business. So you come in, you diagnose what's wrong with that business, and then you've got all the best equipment to heal it, right? Would that be a good analogy? That's, that, that's, that's the basic... Uh, operative you know, necessary. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's the idea. Like, you don't know what the solution is. Um, a lot of the, the most common situation is people always think more money is the solution. Most distressed companies, the, the immediate thought that the founders have or the principals or uh, is just, we need more money. And that's really not the basic. I mean, that, you know, we don't even want to get to that conversation until we understand all the different situation and where they fit in the competitive framework. What are their problems? Are they short-term problems, long-term problems? Is there something wrong in the industry? Are they just, have they just missed the boat? You know, like, has there been a leapfrog? Uh, there's so many different layers to it. Um, but you're right. We're getting in there to diagnose what's going on and then to help execute whatever the plan is. Uh, and the plan may change. I mean, one of the things about you're talking about um, ramp, ramplify your business is things change all the time. You know, you start down one path and then you realize that there's another path that might be, uh, that might be better. And you're all, you know, the flexibility is what's critical. Yes. So if we were, and I always say on this particular show or interview is that we get to have people whose time we could never normally afford like yours. So in a time like this, we're living through an unprecedented reality, but you're not unfamiliar with dealing with crises. You're not unfamiliar with people who are experiencing change. So you started off and you said, first, you've got to be flexible. What are the other Ian Ratnerisms that you look at, the universal things that companies do that allow them to pivot, to ramplify? Right. So I think, uh, of course, the difference a little bit with this crisis is that 
it involves a health and safety issue, which is really makes it fundamentally different um, than most business crises. Most business crises are, you know, the company loses a major customer, uh, they're involved in litigation with a vendor, uh, there's a, they have a, you know, supply chain problem, uh, all kind of different issues. There's a dispute between the owners. Many companies fall apart because of the shareholdings. Um, but the difference now is you have this health and safety issue, which makes it uh, different for people. I will tell you that most people are not used to working in crisis situation. Most uh, successful business people, they have a company, they grow the company, it does well, they sell it, they, they you know, there's just kind of a pathway. Um, the hardest thing about crisis is uh, it's very easy to get frozen. And we see that all the time that, you know, people just don't know what to do and how to do it. And even now, I mean, a lot of people are just frozen. And you see successful business people have modified what they're doing. They've uh, created uh, short-term distribution centers. They've, they've brought on home delivery. They've, I mean, even in the, not to compare the legal community, but even now we have to be modifying what we're doing. We're having bankruptcy hearings uh, by Zoom like this. We're trying to keep things moving forward as opposed to being absolutely frozen. Um, so I think number one is uh, a lot of times uh, people that have traditionally been very successful get frozen when there's a crisis. And, uh, the second thing that I've seen many, many times uh, in particular with successful people is they really don't want to deal with the crisis. It's they don't want to acknowledge that there's a problem and deal with that problem in a um, proactive way. It's more like, um, you know, they're just shut that problem out of their kind of view and, and think it's going to get resolved. So those are some of the, the typically what I've seen is, you know, people just get frozen uh, or they just kind of ignore the problem and don't want to deal with it. And, you know, good leaders are willing to deal with their problems. And that's one of the things um, that I've seen about good leaders is they're able to get their hands involved in the detail and deal with the problem that's uh, facing the company. Now, you're very skilled at going into organizations and sometimes working with frozen leaders. Is there a specific, is it intuitive for you? How do you get individuals, leaders out of that state? I mean, you must have had to do it numerous times. You know, it's, it's almost like you have to spend enough time with them. The challenge for our business is it's very time intensive. Um, so you have to pick the right deals and the right opportunities, um, but it can be very time intensive. And really spending time with those people, either they're going to kind of get out of the way and let you do the thing and uh, appoint you as the troubleshooter, and that's very common, um, or they're going to be involved lockstep with you. And, um, and getting them to spend the time and understand the problem and really look at the financial information and the data. They, it's shocking when I say that. People are surprised that I say that. A lot of uh, successful CEOs and people running companies that have never been in trouble, they, they, just, they have a great intuition of what's happening and they have the momentum behind them, but they're not always studying the data and the information. And you know, I love working with people that know, you know which SKUs are selling, uh, what margins we have on what products, where is the business going? A lot of times that seems more intuitive, but 
but at some point you need that data. Business is so complicated today that the data drives it. And I think that's what you're seeing with some large, uh, I know that you mentioned in our correspondence, companies like Amazon and uh, other, you know, Netflix and, you know, people that are pivoting and succeeding, it's because they understand the data. Where is the business going? And that is only achieved from data. And a lot of times people think they know what's happening, but the data is telling them something different. You know, people aren't buying that product anymore or whatnot. And I'm joined by writer Michael Pellerino. So Mike, if you've got any specific questions that you would like to ask Ian, um, I'm gonna ask one more question, Michael, and then it's gonna be over to you. Ian, if you were giving a talk right now to Harvard MBA students, um, a time of corona, a time of uncertainty, and they have now embarked on this MBA and they look at someone like you as aspirational, what would be something that your years of experience have taught you that you wish every MBA student knew? I tell you, it, it has, um, you know, I may surprise you a little bit. It has nothing to do with, um, nothing to do with um, uh, the technical aspect of business. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with developing a cash flow and running a present value model, uh, preparing a book to sell a company, you know, acting as an M&A advisor and all the technical things we do. Um, I would tell them it's all about humility. Uh, believe it or not, um, it, people want to deal with people that are good listeners, that know that they don't know everything. Nobody wants to deal with somebody that it knows everything or comes off that way. And I will tell you that there are successful people that are difficult and hard to deal with and have massive egos. Um, Absolutely. We all know people like that. They're around us every day, in fact, in the media and things like that. But generally, you know, that's like the top, top, top. Most of us, the guys graduating Harvard, most of us are going to try to have a successful career, uh, make some money and be at the top of their game. So that category of people, for you to succeed, there's a certain humility that's required where you could ask questions and you could learn if you go into a meeting and you think you know everything about that company and everything about their problems, you're not going to succeed because you can only know that when you get inside. So asking questions, trying to understand the situation, trying to, you're already credentialed. I tell our young guys, you're already in the room. You don't have to sell. You're in the room. Now your job is to learn so that you can execute, you know? You don't have to tell everybody how smart you are. They know you went to Harvard, you did this, you did that. You know, you worked at JP Morgan for three years. That's all whatever. There's a million guys like you. How do you differentiate yourself? People skills, understanding, listening, executing. Don't keep telling me what you're going to do. Execute. And I think that's the biggest issue in young business people today. They simply are missing an extra dose of humility in terms of their ability to, to get behind. And I tell you, it's, it's a phenomenal, you need humility to turn around a business also because you're gonna be asking people for help. Uh, you're gonna ask your lenders, hey, I need you to give me a forbearance for two months. You're gonna ask your vendors, I've been paying you every 30 days, I need to pay you every 60 days. If you've been difficult with them, they're not gonna help you. So, for all the technical side of business, 
I put it all aside and say there's one aspect that will allow you to succeed. And it's about humility and the ability to be humble, both in the way you deal with your clients and the way you deal with your, your, everybody around you. I think that is just brilliantly put and something, you know, again, I was, you know, what don't they teach you at Harvard business school, but what you've learned in, in your ability to, to do all of these things, Mike, a question. I know you have a question for Ian. Yeah, yeah. First of all, if you're running for office, where do I sign up to vote? Oh, yes, I agree. <laughs> I mean, you just describe, I think you just put a perfect snapshot on snapshot on everything that's wrong right now today, what's going on with us. But, um, I'll digress to that. I, I think what you said is smart. One of the questions I was going to ask you was uh, dealt with leaders that have an open mind. And that's, I think that's what you're talking about is, is uh, not thinking you know everything and opening your mind right. up. And, you know, the old cliche that uh, a good leader is the one that surrounds himself with people that know that, that he doesn't or he or she doesn't. And you have to let them do, you know, we, we were, we uh, faced, we've grown our business uh, in, a, in, a, in an era where there's two dominant competitors in the restructuring space, there was two massive uh, competitors, and we really became uh, from nothing, from two people to you know 125 advisors, really number three, by chipping away at their businesses. And the only way to do that is to be humble and to get yourself, you know, if if you always think that you're the best, you're never going to be the best. And I think that that's the number one challenge. And for leaders, a lot of leaders that I've seen, uh, believe it or not, a lot of companies, a lot of leaders don't have this attribute. There's a lot of leaders that are me, 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 right? It's all about me. In fact, I spent a year uh, working for a distressed telecom company. And, you know, the, the owner only, and this was a pretty substantial company. We had several thousand employees the fellow that was running the company and the main shareholder, everything was about how it impacted him. It wasn't about the staff and it wasn't about the downsizing and all that. Yes, what happens is when you're leading an organization and you've made a lot of money and everybody knows you're the leader, it's easy to think that that's all that matters, but you have to care about the other people a little bit. And when I say care about the other people, I'm not talking about not making hard decisions, I'm not talking about, oh, you know what? I'm going to overpay that guy because I really care about him. I'm just saying the way you deal with people, even if, even if your mindset is it's all about me, which it shouldn't be, but if it is, you have to be able to change the image of what you're portraying to the others because they're not going to be able to work for you. They're not going to push forward. The minute things get hard, they're going to focus on, hey, you know what? I'm getting out of here. I'm going to get a new job because this thing is going down the tubes. So right. is, is there a moment, is there a story, Ian, that you can look at, something that would help us, maybe an organization, and obviously you may not need to tell us, but a time where you came in and there was this resistance and through doing X, Y resulted. I mean, what, I just love an example of either where somebody was so resistant that they in fact couldn't turn around, they couldn't ramplify, they couldn't pivot, or conversely, somebody who was resistant at first, but by understanding certain things, it resulted in something positive. Because people who are listening to this, people who are watching this, are at so many different stages of their lives and they're listening to you and this is such good advice and guidance. But what if right now I am one of those people who is stuck? Right. So I, I think that in our particular, in the turnaround restructuring area, 
um, the situation is very typical that somebody's resistant to, for example, hiring you. A lender says to a company, let's say the company is in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and they manufacture um, uh, thermal insulated mugs, and, and they, you know they have a hundred million dollar business, and they're struggling. And their lender says, "Hey, we want you to bring in a advisor." And they're like, "I'm not bringing an advisor. I don't need some Harvard MBA to tell me what to do. I know my business. I don't need somebody." And and they're very resistant. That is the usual situation for us. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to gain the trust of the people we're working with. And how do you gain the trust of the people you're working with? You show them that you are sincere, that you're humble, that you care, and that you're gonna listen to them, that you're gonna try to understand their business. You're not gonna walk in telling them everything that is standard in a presentation, like why does everybody hate consultants? And, and deep down, I mean, we're a service industry, service uh, society, because everybody thinks they're trying to sell you the same solution that they did at another project. So in many cases where people are resistant to hiring us, as you asked, the, the way to get over that is to gain their trust. And when you gain their trust, then you're able to move the business and move them in a pathway and sometimes that means telling them the hard news, right? Like uh, you imagine you get involved in a company and the CEO is taking out a million dollars a year as salary and he's been doing that and the company's struggling and you have to sit down with him and say, you know, this is the time that you need to cut back. This is a time that you need to take no salary so you could show your employees and show your lenders that you're behind this deal 100%. Not just, it's not all about you. And that's a very hard conversation, and some people don't react well to it. <laughs> so, so who right now is doing this well? In your opinion, when we look at um, our business environment right now, is there anyone or any specific business that comes to mind and you go, yes, they're exemplary. We can learn from them. Look, I mean, it's very difficult. This, this COVID uh, situation has really put a, a um, you know, a wrench in the entire economy. And, and I think the, the coming back from this is going to be uh, more difficult than people think. Um, you know, the unemployment numbers, I think we're up to 36 million. Uh, 36 million people have lost their jobs in the last, let's call, call it eight weeks. That's monumental. Um, look, the companies that are succeeding now of course, there's certain retailers like the Targets and the Costco's. I mean, it's just volume. It's like no one, that's the only place you can go to. But you have seen people pivot, uh, you know, that are taking more active, uh, you know, roles, you know, the Netflix, the Amazons. I think you're going to see winners and losers here. Uh, some parts of healthcare are going to be winners. Some parts of healthcare are going to be losers. So it's going to be really by industry. The, regrettably, even some of the best leaders, are not going to be able to get out of this. I mean, you could be the greatest CEO um, for a uh, for a restaurant chain, yes. and it ain't going to matter. And, and it just ain't going to matter. So this is so daunting. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, the the place where you're going to see it is in the mid market. Uh, you know, large, large, you know, the Fortune 100 is going to be fine. Johnson & Johnson is going to be fine. Procter & Gamble is going to be fine. Um, but in the mid-market, you're going to see a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, companies 
from 200 million to, you know, a billion, uh, you know, that's a very difficult space. So interesting. I mean, you are a father and now a grandfather. I know very young to be a grandfather, but, you know, Ian, just what advice philosophy do you give to your children? So I'll give you a moment to think about this, but I always say to my children, there's two key things in life. You want to be resilient. You have to learn to be resilient and you have to learn to deal with conflict. Those are two things that have been so critical in my success. So I'm curious because, you know, often parents and especially somebody like yourself who is so both philanthropic and involved in the community and considered a business and thought leader, what, what is Ian Ratner's parental advice to his children? Wow. I mean, that's a good question. I tell you, it, you know what it really is? Uh, and it's, and it's, uh, it's something that comes up often. Most of the time, I mean, I think it's going to be reflective in both of your careers because you've been successful. Basically, you have to be involved with something you enjoy doing, whatever that might be. If you're going to, if you love being involved in uh, fashion, be involved in fashion because you're going to succeed at it. It's very difficult to succeed at something that you don't enjoy doing. And the problem today is that everybody is focused on money. And uh, great, yeah, we need to make a living. Everybody wants to make a living and, and all that. But if you're not, if you don't really like what you're doing, you're not going to make a good living. Like, think about it. If you love being a hairstylist, you're going to be phenomenal at it. You're going to make money at it. Then all of a sudden, you're going to have a shop that's packed. You're going to have to open another shop. Next thing you know, you're going to have a chain of uh, hair salons. So to me, it's the, the, the thing that I always tell the kids is like, do what you like doing. And you know, if, you're, if you enjoy it, you're going to be successful and the money will come. And that sounds like a little bit of a cliche, but it really is true. If you look around at, at the people that really have succeeded, um, they enjoy what they're doing. They don't feel like it's a burden. The minute you feel like work is a burden, there's no way that you could succeed. Now, it's so interesting, Ian, because um, I always say in networking, it's not what you know, and people say it's who you know, and I go, no, it's what you know about who you know, because yes, right. I have known Ian Ratner for many years, but that would not have been what I thought his philosophy was for his kids. So it just shows people can always surprise you. Ian Ratner, Glass Ratner, turning businesses around, um, a surgeon for the ailing business might be. Um, diagnosis and repair work to get you healthy again. So Ian Ratner, thank you so much. And let's hope we all continue to expand, thrive and survive. Thank you very much.